0: Chapter 11 of Poems of American History, Volume 5, The Period of Expansion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J.L. Baldwin. Poems of American History, Volume 5, The Period of Expansion, by Various, Section 12. Rouge Bouquet, March 7, 1918. In a wood they call the Rouge Bouquet, there is a new-made grave to-day, built by never a spade nor pick, yet covered with earth ten meters thick. There lie many fighting men, dead in their youthful prime, never to laugh nor love again nor taste the summertime. For death came flying through the air and stopped his flight at the dugout stair, touched his prey and left them there, clay to clay. He hid their bodies stealthily in the soil of the land they fought to free, and fled away, Now over the grave, abrupt and clear, three volleys ring, and perhaps their brave young spirits hear the bugle sing. Go to sleep, go to sleep. Slumber well where the shells screamed and fell. Let your rifles rest on the muddy floor. You will not need them any more. Danger's past, now at last, go to sleep. There is on earth no worthier grave to hold the bodies of the brave than this place of pain and pride where they nobly fought and nobly died. Never fear, but in the skies, saints and angels stand, smiling with their holy eyes on this new-come band. St. Michael's sword darts through the air, and touches the aureole on his hair, as he sees them stand saluting there, his stalwart sons. And Patrick, Bridget, Columkill, rejoice that in veins of warriors still the gale's blood runs. And up to heaven's doorway floats from the wood called Rouge Bouquet, a delicate cloud of bugle-notes that softly say, Farewell, farewell. Comrades true, born anew, peace to you. Your souls shall be where the heroes are, and your memories shine like the morning star. Brave and dear, shield us here. Farewell. Joyce Kilmer The great summons came in the spring of 1918, for on March 21 the Germans began a series of terrific attacks which they believed would end the war. On March 31, an official note announced that the Star-Spangled Banner will float beside the French and English flags in the plains of Picardy. On April 17, the order came for the First Division to move into the battle area. Marching Song, April 17, 1918 When Pershing's men go marching into Picardy, Marching, marching into Picardy, With their steel a slant in the sunlight, And their great grey hawks a-wing, And their wagons rumbling after them like thunder in the spring. Tramp, 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 till the earth is shaken. Tramp, 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 till the dead towns waken. And flowers fall and shouts arise from Chaumont to the sea, when Pershing's men go marching, marching into Picardy. Women of France, do you see them pass to the battle in the north? And do you stand in the doorways now as when your own went forth? Then smile to them and call to them, and mark how brave they fare upon the road to Picardy that only youth may dare tramp 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 foot and horse and caisson tramp 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 tramp, such is freedom's passion and oh take heart ye weary souls that stand along the lease for the new world is marching marching into picardy april's sun is in the sky and april's in the grass and i doubt not that pershing's men are singing as they pass for they are very young men and brave men and free and they know why they are marching marching into picardy Tramp, 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 rank and file together, tramp, 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 through the April weather, And never spring has thrust such blades against the light of dawn, As yonder waving stalks of steel that move so shining on. I have seen the wooden crosses at Ypres and Verdun, I have marked the graves of such as lie where the Marne waters run, And I know their dust is stirring by hill and vale and lea, And their souls shall be our captains who march to Picardy. TRAMP, 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 HOPE SHALL FAIL US NEVER, tramp, 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 FORWARD AND FOREVER, AND GOD IS IN HIS JUDGMENT SEAT, AND CHRIST IS ON HIS TREE, AND PERSHING'S MEN ARE MARCHING, MARCHING INTO Picardy. DANA Burnett. On June 2, the 2nd and 3rd Divisions met and checked the enemy at Chateau Thierry. The Maun Offensive was followed sharply by another on the part of the British, with whom our 27th Division was fighting and on August eighth, the 27th broke through the famous Hindenburg line. Our Modest Doughboys, August eighth, 1918 Said the captain, there was wire a mile deep in no man's land, and the concentrated fire was all mortal nerve could stand. But these huskies craved the chance to go out and leave their bones. The climate's quite some damp in France, said Private Thomas Jones. Said the Major, what is more, at the point where we attacked, tough old veterans loudly swore Hindi's line could not be cracked. But the 27 said, Hindenburg, that guy's a myth. I slept last night in a regular bed, said Private Johnny Smith. Said the Colonel, they had placed pillboxes on the crests. I can safely say we faced maybe thousands of those nests. But our doughboys took one height seven times in that hell's hail. And were the cooties thick? Good night, said Private William Dale. "'said the General, we were told anything we'd start they'd stop, "'that the Boche would knock us cold when we slid across the top. "'But the Seventh with a yell made the Prussian guards back down. yah a-lamped the smile on Nell,' said Private Henry Brown. "'said the Sergeant, every shell seemed to whine, "'Old Scout, you're dead, and I thought I'd gone to hell in a blizzard of hot lead. "'But each Bloomin' gunner stuck at his post by his machine. "'Our order said to hold it, Buck,' said Private Peter Green." said the chaplain, talk of pep, they were there. And may I add, when we clambered up the step that last fight, we only had eighty men of Company D, every one I'll say a man. And am I glad I'm home? Ah, we said Private Mike McCann. Charlton Andrews. Early in September, eight American divisions were concentrated on the Lorraine Front and organized into the First American Army. On September 12, an assault in force was made against the saint salient, which had threatened France for four years. Twenty-four hours later the salient was ours, together with 15,000 prisoners. seiche September 12, 1918. A handful came to seiche when winter woods were bare, when ice was in the trenches and snow was in the air. The foe looked down on seiche and laughed to see them there. The months crept by at Seichpray, the growing handful stayed with growling guns at midnight, at dawn the lightning raid, and learned in Seichpray trenches how a war's red game is played. September came to Seichpray, a slow wrought host arose and rolled across the trenches and whelmed its sneering foes, and left to shattered Seichpray, unending sweet repose. Two weeks later we began our greatest battle in an attack on the strong German positions running from the Meuse westward through the Argonne Forest. It was in this battle that perhaps the most remarkable single exploit of the war was performed, when Corporal Alvin C. York, a young giant from the mountains of Tennessee, who had been sent forward with a small squad to clean up some machine-gun nests, killed single-handed 28 Germans and came back with 132 prisoners. A Ballad of Redheads Day October eighth, nineteen eighteen. Talk of the Greeks at Thermopylae—they fought like mad till the last was dead. But Alvin C. York of Tennessee stayed cool to the end, though his hair was red. Stayed mountain cool, yet blazed that gray October the eighth as redhead's day. With rifle and pistol and redhead nerve, he captured one hundred and thirty-two. A battalion against him—he did not swerve from the Titan's task they were sent to do. Fourteen men under Sergeant Early, and York the blacksmith, big and burly. Sixteen only, but fighters all, they dared the brood of a devil's nest, and three of those that did not fall were wounded and out of the scrap, the rest were guarding a bunch of Boche they'd caught, when both were trapped by a fresh onslaught. Excepting York, who smiled amen, and spotting the nests of spitting guns, potted some twenty birds, and then did with his pistol for eight more huns, "'who thought they could crush a Yankee alive "'in each red pound of two hundred and five. "'That was enough for kill Babe. Fritz. Ninety and all threw up their hands, "'suddenly tender as lamb at the Ritz, "'milder than sheep to a York's commands, "'and back to his line he drove the herd, "'gathering more on the way, absurd. "'Absurd but true, aye, gospel fact, "'for here was a man with a level head "'who, scorning to fail for the help he lacked, "'helped himself till he won instead.' An elder was he in the Church of Christ, immortal at thirty, his faith sufficed. Richard Butler Glenser While our Argonne offensive was in progress, the French and English had been striking mighty blows at other portions of the German line, and everywhere the enemy was in retreat. Realizing that their power was broken, and to save themselves from imminent disaster, the Germans asked for an armistice. It was offered on terms so drastic that many thought the Germans would not sign, but they did, and at eleven o'clock on the morning of November eleventh, 1918, firing ceased all along the front. VICTORY BELLS I heard the bells across the trees, I heard them ride the plunging breeze above the roofs from tower and spire, and they were leaping like a fire, and they were shining like a stream with sun to make its muscle gleam. Deep tones as though the thunder told. cool voices thin as tinkling gold. They shook the spangled autumn down from out the treetops of the town. They left great furrows in the air, and made a clangor everywhere, as of metallic wings. They flew aloft in spirals to the blue tall tent of heaven, and disappeared. And others, swift as though they feared the people might not heed their cry, went shouting victory up the sky. They did not say that war is done, only that glory has begun, like sunrise, and the coming day will burn the clouds of war away. There will be time for dreams again, and homecoming for weary men. Grace Hazard Conkling America had lost nearly 50,000 men killed in battle, and immediately after the armistice work was begun gathering together their bodies, scattered over many battlefields, and reinterring them in beautiful cemeteries, where their graves would be perpetually cared for and honored. Epicedium In Memory of America's Dead in the Great War No more for them shall evening's rose unclose, nor dawn's emblazoned panoplies be spread. Alike the rain's warm kiss and stabbing snows unminded fall upon each hallowed head. But the bugles as they leap and wildly sing rejoice remembering. The gun's mad music their young years have known, war lullabies that moaned on Flanders plain. Tonight the wind walks on them still as stone, where they lie huddled close as riven grain. But the drums reverberating proudly roll, they love a soldier's soul. With arms outflung and eyes that laughed at death, they drank the wine of sacrifice and loss. For them a lifetime spanned a burning breath, and truth they visioned clean of earthly dross. But the fifes, can ye not hear their lusty shriek? They know, and now they speak. The lazy drift of cloud, the noonday hum of vagrant bees, the lark's untrammeled song shall gladden them no more who now lie dumb in death's strange sleep, yet once were swift and strong. But the bells that to all living listeners peal, with joy their deeds reveal. They have given their lives with bodies bruised and broken, upon their country's altar they have bled. They have left as priceless heritage a token that honour lives forever with the dead. And the bugles, as their rich notes rise and fall, they answer knowing all. J. Corson Miller The Dead think you the dead are lonely in that place they are companioned by the leaves and grass by many a beautiful and vanished face by all the strange and lovely things that pass sunsets and dawnings and the starry vast the swinging moon the tracery of trees these they shall know more perfectly at last they shall be intimate with such as these tis only for the living beauty dies fades and drifts from us with too brief a grace beyond the changing tapestry of skies where dwells her perfect and immortal face. For us the passage brief, the happy dead are ever by great beauty visited. David Morton The Unreturning For us the dead, though young, for us who fought and bled, let a last song be sung and a last word be said. Dreams, hopes, and high desires that leaven and uplift on sacrificial fires we offered as a gift. We gave and gave our all, in gladness though in pain. Let not a whisper fall that we have died in vain. Clinton Schullard To America's soldier dead was added on January 6, 1919 a valiant and righteous warrior, Theodore Roosevelt, whose sudden death at the age of sixty-one was a shock to the whole country. The Star, January 6, 1919 Great soul, to all brave souls akin, high bearer of the torch of truth, "'Have you not gone to marshal in those eager hosts of youth? "'Flung outward by the battle's tide, they met in regions dim and far, "'and you, in whom youth never died, shall lead them as a star.'" Marion Coutoy-Smith Arrangements for sending home the American army were begun immediately after the armistice, and within a few months a steady stream of khaki-clad troops was flowing through the port of Brest bound for America. Brest left behind the sun strikes gold the dirty street the band blares the drums insist and brown legs twinkle and muscles twist pound pound the rhythmic feet the laughing street boys shout and a couple of hags come out to grin and bob and clap stiff rusty black their dresses and crispy white their breton cap prim on white smooth tresses wait wait while dun clouds droop over the sunlit docks over the wet gray rocks and mast of steamer and sloop and the old squat towers, damp grey and mossy brown, where lovely Anne looked down and dreamed rich dreams through long, luxurious hours. Sudden and swift it rains, familiar fogging grey, it blots the sky away and cuts the face with biting little pains. We grunt and poke shoes free of muddy cakes, watching them messing out upon the dock in thick brown lakes. No more French mud, the sergeant cries, and someone swears and someone sighs, and the neat squads swing about. Silent the looming hulk above, no camouflage this time, she's white and tan and black. Hurry, bend, climb, push forward, stagger back. How clean the wide deck seems, the bunks how trim, and oh the musty smell of ships, faces are set and grim. Thinking of months, this hope was pain, and eyes are full of dreams, and gay little tunes come springing to the lips, home, home, again, again. She's moving now. Across the prow, the dusk-soft harbour bursts into a shivering bloom of light from warehouse, warship, transport, tramp, and countless little bobbing masts each flouts the night with eager boastful lamp. Bright now. Now dimmer, dimmer, fewer and fewer glimmer. Only the lights that mark the passing shore, lofty and lonely, star the grey. Then are no more. We are alone with dusk and creamy spray. The captain coughs remembering the rain the major coughs remembering the mud, some shudder at the horror of dark blood or wine-wet kisses lewd, some sigh remembering new loves and farewell pain, some smile remembering old loves to be renewed. Silent we stare across the deepening night, France vanishing, swift, swift the curling waves, fights in despair and faces fair, proud heads held high for victory and flags above friends' graves. The group buzzes, rustles, hums, Then stiffens as the colonel comes, a burly figure in the mellow light, with haughty, kingly ways. He does not scan the night nor hissing spray that flies, but his cold old glance plays along the level of our eyes. I don't see very many tears, he says. John Chipman, Farrar. America went wild in welcoming them as they arrived, division after division. There were parades and celebrations, but with surprising swiftness the divisions were demobilized and the men returned to civil life. To the Returning Brave Victorious knights, without reproach or fear As close as man is ever to the stars Our welcome met you on the ocean drear In loud free winds and sunsets golden bars Here at our bannered gate Love, honor, laurels wait Though you be humble, we are proud And in your stead elate Fame shall not tire to tell No sordid stain lies on your purpose On your record none No broken word, no violated fame. No winning one could wish had ne'er been won. You were our message sent to the torn continent, That with its hope and faith henceforth Our hope and faith are blent. You of our new, our homespun chivalry, Here is your welcome in all women's eyes, The envious hand-clasp, romping children's glee, Music and color and glad tears that rise. Here every voice of peace shall brute our joy, Nor cease to vie with shotless guns To shout your blameless victories. But though you are a part of all men's pride, and from your fortitude new nation's date, O lay not yet your sacred steel aside, but save it for the still imperiled state. You who have bound a girth of new hope round the earth, should its firm bond be loosened here, what were your struggle worth? A redder peril dogs the paths of war, with fire and poison wanton children play, and fickle crowds toward new pretenders pour, who summon demons they can never lay. Already we can hear, importunately near, the snarling of the savage crew, half fury and half jeer. Then hang not up your arms till you have taught the ungraceful guests about our hearth and board, that in your swift encounter has been wrought a keener edge to our reluctant sword. You who know well the price of the great sacrifice, your courage saved us once, pray heaven it need not save us twice. And those who come not back, who mutely lie by marron or meuse or tangled Argonne wood, were it to lose the game, let them reply, would we recall their spirits if we could? Open your ranks and save their places with the brave, that liberty may greet you all, her shields of land and wave. Robert Underwood Johnson Amid all the celebrations, there was always the consciousness of those who would not return, in body at least, but whose spirits would never be severed from America's. The Return Golden through the golden morning, who is this that comes with the pride of banners lifted with the roll of drums? With the selfsame triumph shining in the ardent glance, that divine bright fate defiance that you bore to France. You, but o'er your grave in Flanders blow the winter gales, still for sorrow of your going all life's laughter fails. Born on flutes of dawn the answer, o'er the foam's white track, God's work done so to our homeland comes her hosting back. Come the dead men with the live men from the marshes far, from the mounds in no man's valley, lit by cross nor star. Come to blend with hers the essence of their strength and pride, all the radiance of the dreaming for whose truth they died. So the dead men with the live men pass an hosting fair, and the stone is rolled forever from the soul's despair. Eleanor Rogers Cox One distinguished visitor was welcomed by the American people as they welcomed their own sons, King Albert of Belgium who made an extensive tour of the United States in the summer of 1919 king of the belgians how spoke the king in his crucial hour victorious the words of a high decision few but glorious what was the choice he made that all fear surmounted the choice of a man that leaves not the soul uncounted what did the king in bitter defeat and sorrow he stood as a god foreseeing a great tomorrow how fought the king IN SILENT AND STERN PERSISTENCE, PATIENCE AND POWER WITHIN, AND HOPE IN THE DISTANCE. WHAT WAS THE GIFT HE WON IN THE FIRE THAT TRIED HIM? THE DEATHLESS LOVE OF HIS OWN WHO FOUGHT BESIDE HIM. WHAT IS HIS CROWN, THE NOBLEST OF ALL FOR WEARING? THE HOMAGE OF HEARTS THAT BEAT FOR HIS splendid BEARING. ROBE AND scepter AND CROWN, WHAT ARE THESE FOR HOLDING? VESTURE AND SIGN FOR HIS SPIRIT'S ROYAL MOLDING. WHAT SPEAKS HE NOW, IN THE HOUR OF FAITH VICTORIOUS? WORDS OF A QUIET GLADNESS, FEW BUT GLORIOUS. THEN AS WE GREET HIM, WHAT SHALL BE OURS TO RENDER? SILENCE THAT SHINES, AND SPEECH THAT IS PROUD AND TENDER. Marion Cottoy SMITH MEANWHILE, AT PARIS, THE PEACE CONFERENCE UNDER THE LEADERSHIP OF PRESIDENT Woodrow WILSON, WHO HAD BROKEN ALL PRECEDENTS BY GOING TO EUROPE, WAS STRUGGLING WITH THE PEACE TREATY. FOR AMERICA, THE GREAT CONFLICT HAD BEEN A WAR TO END WAR and the President insisted that provisions to establish a League of Nations should be made an integral part of the treaty. The Family of Nations With that pathetic impudence of youth, America, half-formed, gigantic and uncouth, stretching grave limbs in something of surprise, beholds new meaning written on the skies. Out of the granite time has reared a state, haughty and fearless, awkward, passionate, for all his dreaming and his reckless boast betrayed by those whom he has trusted most. Years of stern peril knit that welded frame, banded those arms and set that heart aflame, burdened those loins with vigor of increase, gave to his hand a weapon forged to peace. He cannot turn the discovering hour aside, he feels the stir that will not be denied, and in the family the nation's plan forgets the boy and finds himself a man. Willard Waddles After months of struggle and negotiation, this purpose was achieved, and on July 10, 1919, the President laid the treaty before the Senate for confirmation. Strong opposition to the League of Nations developed immediately, on the ground that it interfered with America's independence and freedom of action, and various reservations were proposed, limiting America's participation. These the President refused to accept, and finally, after eight months of bitter debate, largely partisan and personal, The Senate rejected the treaty March 19, 1920. THE LEAGUE OF NATIONS Lo, Joseph dreams his dream again, And Joan leads her armies in the night, And somewhere near the master from his cross Lifts his hurt hands and heals the world again. For from the great red welter of the world, Out from the tides of its red suffering, Comes the slow sunrise of the ancient dream, Is flung the glory of its bright imagining. See how it breaks in beauty on the world, shivers and shudders on its trembling way, shivers and waits and trembles to be born. America, young daughter of the gods, swing out, strong in the beauty of virginity, fearless in thine unquestioned leadership, and hold the taper to the nation's torch and light the hearth fires of the halls of home. Thine must it be to break an unpathed way, to lift the torch for worlds in brothering, to bring to birth this child of all the earth, formed of the marriage of all nations. Else shall we go, the head upon the breast, a cane without a country, a Judas at the board. Mary Seacrest Beyond Wars, for the League of Nations Then will a quiet gather round the door and settle on those evening fields again, where women watch the slow homecoming men across brown acres hoofed and hurt no more. The sound of children's feet beyond the floor, when lamps are lit and stillness deeper falls, unbroken save where cattle in their stalls keep munching patiently upon their store. Only a scar beside the pasture gate, a torn and naked tree upon the hill, what times remembered will remind them still of long disastrous days they knew of late, till these two yield for sweet accustomed things, and a man plows, a woman sows and sings. David Morton It was a revival of the old idea of splendid isolation on the part of men whose gaze was backward and who had learned nothing from the war. To all others, however, it is evident that America must take her place with the other peoples of the earth at the council table of the League of Nations, and do her part toward the establishment of peace and liberty throughout the world. When there is peace When there is peace, our land no more will be the land we knew of yore. Thus do our facile seers foretell the truth that none can buy or sell, and e'en the wisest must ignore. When we have bled at every pore, shall we strive for gear and store? Will it be heaven, will it be hell, when there is peace? This let us pray, for this implore, that all base streams thrust out at door, we may in loftier aims excel, and like men waking from a spell, grow stronger, nobler than before, when there is peace. Austin Dobson. After the War. After the war, I hear men ask, what then? As though this rock-ribbed world sculptured with fire and bastioned deep in the ethereal plan can never be its morning self again, because of this brief madness man with man. As though the laughing elements should tire the very seasons in their order reel, as though indeed yon ghostly golden wheel of stars should cease from turning, or the moon befriend the night no more. Or the wild rose forget the world, And June be no more June? How many wars and long-forgotten woes, Unnumbered, nameless, Made alike despair in hearts long stilled? How many suns have set on burning cities Blackening the air, Yet dawn came dreaming back, Her lashes wet with dew, And daisies in her innocent hair? Nor shall for this the soul's ascension pause, Nor the sure evolution of the laws That out of foulness lift the flower to the sun, and out of fury forge the evening star. Deem not love's building of the world undone. Far love's beginning was, her end is far. By paths of fire and blood her feet must climb, seeking a loveliness she scarcely knows, whose meaning is beyond the reach of time. Richard Le Gallienne. End of Section 12 Recording by J.L. Baldwin End of Poems of American History, Volume 5 The Period of Expansion by Various